You're listening to the Global Ooj Podcast, where every week we learn about the world through the eyes of entrepreneurship. With your host, Ujwal Velagapudi. I believe education and the learning process are the root of all human growth. It comes in many forms, shapes, and environments, especially in today's technology-driven age. Kirsty Chadwick certainly agrees, as she has spent decades in the education field spanning three continents. Kirsty started the Training Room Online in 2008, which designs and develops innovative, custom e-learning material for their corporate, industrial, and private sector clients by providing solutions that use technology as a core enabler to transform the learning experience. We had a great conversation, and I think you'll be able to see Kirstie's passion for wanting to bridge the gap to the accessibility of quality education in emerging and developing markets. Kirstie, could you take us through a little bit about your background and what your business, The Training Room Online, does and how you guys actually started? Yeah, with pleasure. So firstly, thank you so much for having me on this series. I mean, really amazing what you're doing, and I, I love that curiosity factor. I think part of our tagline at Training Room Online is never stop learning, and I think never to be more true mm-hmm. in this world we live in today that we've got to keep learning all the time and learning to unlearn and relearn all over again. So a little bit of my background, um, I'm originally from New Zealand and sort of studied at Auckland University, a degree in performance piano. I went on to Teachers College in New Zealand and started my first career as a teacher and sort of followed that through. I, I did as many young Kiwis do, went to London, taught there for a, a short period of time, didn't quite get into the groove of the experience of teaching in the UK as I was in New Zealand. But that kind of then opened up a whole bunch of new and different opportunities for me. So really through that experience in the UK, I, I got into a direct marketing company. I started my first business, um, which was supporting council tenants to exercise their right to buy their properties. Went on to become a mortgage advisor and set up a second company in financial advice, um, also in the UK then moved to uh, South Africa in 2005. And that move was really sort of looking to to find a different place, but still continue to run my UK companies and started there a a small call center that that really just provided the back office services to my UK operations. And then I think that was really the start of the journey of coming back into the education space and, and really seeing in South Africa and I guess more broadly firsthand across the continent the huge divide and disconnect between access to good quality education and really the if you didn't have the financial means to afford education the quality of what you were receiving in many cases was really not very good and you know I think it's one thing having grown up in New Zealand we were really blessed with a great quality of education it was free it was accessible it set us up actually to be really able to be and achieve whatever we wanted to achieve in life. So it's something I've always been grateful for. And I didn't see that in South Africa. So really, um, the purpose of starting the training room online in 2008, I started this business um, starting from Cape Town in South Africa, was to be able to use technology as an enabling platform in order to deliver better quality of access to education for everybody. Um, So really back then saw technology as the enabler. It's not the silver bullet. It doesn't it doesn't 
have this uh, sort of amazing quick fix to the challenges in education, but it certainly provides a really powerful enabler. So from 2008 until now, um, been really working hard to to use technology in that way. And you know, there's been so much advancement in technology since then. So we're in a space where you know, sort of, I think the phrase is coined a lot that the future of learning is digital. You know, we're learning all the time in micro moments of learning where we've got access to the internet, we're searching for things on our phones all the time, where we want to be, um, what do we want to do, we want to know something, we've got that sort of access to information much more readily available. And it's, you know, harnessing that into learning experiences is, is the heart and soul of, of what we do. So, you know, our, our sort of line now is that the training online is there to create transformative learning experiences. And yeah, it's a business I'm really passionate about. Um, we've made impact in a lot of people's lives and our intention is to continue to do so in many different parts of the world. So we've expanded out beyond South Africa now in order to do that. And so Kirsty, when you say learning, I guess many of us may jump quickly to a K through 12 sort of setting, but as it relates to the training room online, what age groups or is it just for students? Is it just for kids? Or are you also providing services to a much broader audience? So it's to a much broader audience. So we've actually covered the spectrum and projects and work that we've done to date across what we call lifelong learning. We've done work in the public sector with early childhood development. So that's focusing on children naught to six. And also the educators and the professionals that are within that context, um, even reaching out to the parents. So sort of within a learning community, there's learning happening for, for children, but there's also learning happening for educators and learning happening for parents and anybody within that ecosystem around where learning takes place. Then up into the K-12 space, we've done work in colleges, we've done work in universities and extensively work across multiple different industries and sectors in the world of work. And, you know, sometimes on the follow up question to that is, you know, well, how do you manage to cover such a wide range of audience that you deliver learning to? And I think the simple answer to that is that from our business perspective, we're not the subject matter experts. The subject matter experts are out there in those professions that are across all of those different industry sectors. Where we come into play is understanding and having the instructional capability and know-how to create a transformative experience where we use the technology to enable that delivery. So we don't need to be subject matter experts. We need to work with the with the experts, but very much we can work across any age range, um, you know, really understand that, that target audience that we're focusing on and find the right solutions to, to meet what they need. And that's down to, you know, will they learn best through a mobile device? Will they learn better on a laptop? Will they learn better in a blended learning environment where there's still facilitation and this technology enablement. So, you know, we craft our solutions to meet that audience that we're delivering to. And yeah, it's been, it's one of the things I think is so exciting about the work that we do in our sector is that we cover such a broad range and, you know, you're designing things for a really wide variety of people and very different backgrounds and circumstances. And we, we design programs for executives in large corporate organizations. We design programs for mine workers. Can you get a little bit more into that as far as your corporate clients? Because I'm thinking back to my corporate uh, time working at a few different companies and there were so many training manuals, so much learning so much training, especially as you onboard for the various HR brochures, packet trainings that we have to go through. So have you worked on any of those spectrums? And then also specific trainings for a certain field, a certain industry, 
uh, as far as your corporate clientele, how does that work? Absolutely. So, yes, I think we've got such a collection of those manuals and those large sort of PowerPoint slides and training manuals and everything else. So, so that's often the starting point of where we receive content, if I can call it that. So an organization will, will approach us and say, right, we, we would like to take our onboarding program and make it an online experience or a blended experience. And often that is the source material that we get given. And a large part of the way we instructionally design is to, to break that down and actually take away a lot of what is either repetition within that material or not that relevant and not that necessary. So distilling the essence of what people actually need to know, as opposed to classroom instruction where you're filling up a period of time in a day. So you're actually you know, you're, you've got a day or two days or five days of training, there's a certain number of hours in that day. When we design for a digital experience, we design very differently. We design for what people need to know and when they need to know it. So that might be blocks of 10 minutes of learning. It might be a 30-second video or animation. It's a lot more condensed because people can go back and review it. If people need to go over material again, they don't. we don't need to reinforce it constantly like we would in a classroom. We can reinforce it by prompting them back to review a video or back to review um, a smaller chunk of learning. So the whole instructional design um, has changed significantly when we bring the, the digital mode of delivery into play. And I think for, for many people that's um, also allowing them to personalize the way they want to learn. So instead of it being a, you know, everybody's doing it the same way at the same time and the same mode of delivery, we can create a lot of personalization around that experience. Uh, we learn at different paces. We like to learn in different ways. Some people like to read, some people like to hear. Um, so I think, you know, with all of the tools that are available to us, I mean, this is a good example of learning, you know, podcast, can be a really effective learning tool. We can record something, people can listen to it on their way to work, in the car, you know, at a time that suits them when they're best um, able to consume that learning and actually really have that as a meaningful experience and translate that into application. So that's um, sort of a big shift and a big trend in where learning is going. And even if I reflect back to when we started designing more traditional e-learning, I would say back in the sort of 20, 2009, 2010, probably up to about 2012, an e-learning module might be an hour long. I mean, we, we now are designing e-learning modules that are five minutes long. So into that nano learning, micro learning, less is actually more. And I think, you know, those days of big clunky manuals are not necessarily where learning is going to be or where it is now and certainly not where it will be in the future. I like that. The less is more, <laughs> the nano learning. And I know especially <clears throat> those were the best days growing up in school where it was just a small session instead of a two-hour lecture, uh, either in college or in high school. But could you walk me through the process when you had mentioned the PowerPoints or the slide decks or whatever manual you get from these corporate clients? I'm just envisioning that back in my old jobs or even to part-time jobs, those were extremely boring, extremely repetitive, redundant, uh, just so long to sit through and get through. But I remember working at Jimmy John's. I had so many part-time jobs, but all, all those uh, restaurant jobs, the delivery jobs, everything, you had to sit through hours and hours and hours. And so I'm, I'm trying to picture someone on your team absorbing that. You have to, because what you said was you're trying to articulate that in the best way possible to 
the eventual student. So for you to be able to do that, you have to understand it, comprehend it really well to be able to take out that essence, which you mentioned. So how does that process look when it actually hits your team and that flow through your various departments mm. and then ultimately the final product? So it's a, it's a really structured process um, and sort of starts off with um, what we call the analysis phase. So within sort of the, the digital learning space, there's a methodology called ADDIE. A-D-D-I-E. So the first phase of that, the A is the analysis phase. And that's really sort of understanding who learning will be delivered to, why are we delivering learning? So, you know, what is the intent? What do we actually want to get out of this learning experience? How do we want to measure that learning's actually taken place? So, you know, so understand the why. why. Why are we doing this? Why are we getting all of these people to go through this learning and what do we want them to be able to do at the end of it? Because when you understand that, it's easier to be able to understand what's really relevant to achieve that outcome as opposed to filling up um, what might need to be filled up in terms of a day of learning. So we get to the essence of that. We also then understand where would the learner be doing this and on what device would they be consuming that? So are they going to be doing it on a mobile device? Would they be doing it at a workstation? Are they going to be at their desk? Would they be able to go into a quiet space to learn? Because all of that informs the way we're going to design that content, which is the next phase. So we document almost a blueprint and we create a content framework, a content matrix, and we actually quite intentionally extract out of that sort of bulk of content the essence of what we believe is going to be needed to achieve that outcome that we're seeking. Um, and that's where then the subject matter expert becomes involved. So we then go back and we have a session. We say, right, this is what we've extracted. Is this, you know, have we captured everything that we need to capture? We agree on that, that gets approved. And then we go into the instructional design phase. So that the, the next phase in the process is design. And we're creating then typically a visual storyboard. It's something which allows people to understand what would the end product be. And we're selecting from that, you know, what tools do we want to use? Do we want to create a little video? Do we want to have animation? Do we want to make it into e-learning? How long are those modules going to be? How do we want to do assessment? Um, is there room for augmented or virtual reality or some sort of immersive technology in this? So we start to make the decisions and the choices around what would be the best way to deliver this learning to re to achieve that outcome? Because there's so many different things we could create. You know, we mentioned a podcast. We've mentioned, you know, the videos and the animations and the e-learning, the AR, the VR. There's all these different assets. And often we're selecting a variety of assets that create the whole learning experience. So that gets documented in a visual storyboard. Once that gets approved, then we go into the development of that. So the second, the second D after the analysis and design, now we develop. And depending on the asset choices that have been made, we've got different teams in our creative um, department that would take that on. So our video production would take place in one area. The animation team would get busy on their components. And ultimately, that all gets wrapped up into the final package. And it's typically then published as to where it's going to be implemented. So the I in the process is, you know, where are we going to put this end file? Will it go into a learning management system? Uh, will it go onto a website? Where, where will the learning be delivered from? And we would then populate that there, do our user acceptance testing and all the quality assurance checks. And then we're ready to go into deployment. So once we've got the deployment happening, we've got people going actively into the system, the learning is taking place. 
uh, we've got the ability at the end of that process to do evaluation. And evaluation sort of ties the loop all the way back to the beginning where we said, you know, why are we doing it? What do we want to achieve? How are we going to measure that we've achieved that? And the evaluation closes that loop. And often at that point, you know, it's where iterations of that learning take place. You know, we've got we've got reflections and lessons that have been provided by learners. We've got our own reflections and lessons. And it's where it's a very dynamic process. So I think part of what makes the digital experience a lot more easy to adapt and modify is that we haven't gone and printed all these materials. We don't have, you know, manuals that have now been distributed. Our materials sit in a dynamic learning environment or an ecosystem that means if we want to change something, we can change it relatively quickly and easily and then deploy that back out to the learners. So, yeah, that's our process that we follow. It is very structured. But, you know, I guess through the, the sort of experience, not only of our own organization, but, but globally, we know that doing a structured process of this allows us to be, you know, very intentional in the outcomes we're seeking and give us the measurability to make sure that we're, we're not creating experiences that are boring and long and, you know, people don't want to learn. We've, we've got to create experiences that people want to learn more. They want to love learning. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a big part of the role that we play. I can imagine when you were talking about the development phase, especially you had started back in 2008. So you mentioned AR and VR. I don't believe that existed or at least to the same degree, maybe it was a concept back then, but as technology is growing and you guys are adapting to that technology, I'm sure that the technical department, your development department has to be adapting to those various forms and those uh, uh, various outlets. So how has that changed over the past decade plus in terms of adapting to the latest technology and really going with that as those releases are coming out? Yeah, and I think what's so exciting about that, I mean, I mean, you're right. So, you know, our team are constantly researching and looking at different technologies that are coming out, most of which are, are not designed with the purpose of learning being an output of them. You know, they might be designed for gaming experiences or, you know, marketing experiences, but generally, you know, what we're always looking for is, well, what would be the application? When would we use AR or VR in a learning experience? You know, what would be the right scenario where it's not a gimmick, it's not a gadget, it's got a meaningful place in that learning journey? So being quite specific about when we would use those tools, you know, creates different ways in which our instructional designers are able to think about getting the message across in the best way. I think where those technologies will play a much greater role in the learning experience design over the coming years is that they're equally becoming more accessible. And I think it's another consideration we've got to have. You know, most people have got mobile devices. Um, most people have got more than one. So the accessibility to learn through that is high. Not everybody has got access to a virtual reality headset yet. So we also have to be careful in not getting ahead of the curve of the readiness of people to use those technologies and gain meaningful learning from them. Um, but I see that space, you know, rapidly emerging. Um, it lends itself so well to simulating experiences that give you that immersion, that feeling of being immersed in an environment without needing a big physical simulator. So if we think about the mining operations, you know, they invest a lot in really big physical simulators, which still requires a person to actually be able to get into the simulator, 
to have that experience so it's very effective for learning but if we can take that and put that into a virtual learning experience in a headset and we can achieve the same learning results over time with that you know it makes that more accessible to more people um, so yeah we're really excited looking at that um, things like what we can do with the blockchain in terms of a, a learning record store so how do we create that personalized learning and decentralize that record of learning so I carry my record of learning with me wherever I go um, you know at the moment we typically have our learning records are stored with the institutions where we learn they're with our school they're with our university then we go off to a place of work and as you said you do those learning experiences and they keep your record you know what we would really like to see with that is that that record of learning stays with the individual and that we can use artificial intelligence we can use those kinds of technologies to say well you know if Kirsty's really good at A, B and C does she know that those skills could be really relevant in these kinds of jobs and not only these sorts of jobs that exist today but what about jobs that are going to exist in three to five years that we don't necessarily even know about yet so it's all about that record learning and leveraging that data but not for the benefit necessarily of the organizations exclusively but for the benefit of the individuals um, and anyone that individual wants to choose that record of learning with so I think all of those technologies you know we're playing with them in different learning platform design content design so you know the power of that in order to be able to create those transformative learning experiences is where we're definitely tracking some of our development into and I think that that's a trend that's coming coming through um, globally at the moment. That's so cool about the record of learning. So by that, do you mean it's kind of like a resume of your learning, essentially? What have you learned? Is it um, and keeping a track of it on a public chain so that anybody can look it up so that uh, one, it could benefit you to see which avenues are or which doors are open to you because of your prior history and your expertise and then vice versa for other people to be able to seek you out. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's your formal knowledge. It's things that you acquire in your formal learning experience. So, you know, at school, we're learning knowledge based things. You know, some of us are, are great at maths. Some of us are great at science. Some of us are great at English. Some of us are great at the arts, you know, so it's being able to acknowledge, you know, where people are naturally strong and building upon that in terms of options into into career. So or economic opportunity, how, how do we help young people? develop on their strengths and take them into career opportunities that are really meaningful for them. So you've got your knowledge, you've got your skills that you acquire along the way. You know, all of our early jobs that we did, we were picking up skills, whether we are consciously aware of that or not, we, we're picking up skills. And then we're picking up experience. So all of that tracks into a way our journey of where we go in life gets shaped. And I think some of us are more fortunate to to have that shaped and mapped because we've we've perhaps had better guidance along the way. But where I look at things in in certain parts of the world in which we're working, and I think it's becoming increasingly globally true, that young people aren't so clear on what that map looks like because the map is changing really fast. You know, the fourth industrial revolution is driving unprecedented change. There are, you know, jobs available today that aren't necessarily in a year's time needed anymore. Automation takes place, there are different jobs. So I think that the opportunities will always be there, but being able to know what they are and remain relevant for them is where we've got to be clever about how we use the technology and track 
you know, those core fundamental skills. You, you talked, I mean, that curiosity, but at the beginning, that's a skill, being curious and, and being interested in where you could go to and where your skills apply. It's actually becoming a critical skill. We need people to be curious um, and we need people to take ownership of that and where they where they track their future. Um, so I think the core skills that people need now to be successful look quite different to what they looked you know, back 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and that need for that lifelong learning and never stop learning journey is, is so critical. This isn't related to business essentially, but I wanted to get your take. I've always thought, looking back at all the way from elementary school since I was in kindergarten through all those years of education and even private tutoring and things like that for standardized testing and whatnot. All those years, you know, I would be sitting there in our classrooms and I'm sure many people can relate. Is this really necessary? And I remember even asking my math teacher some of these things. Are all these advanced theories, formulas really necessary for us to learn? And so I wanted to get your perspective on that, because what you were talking about are fundamentals, some of the core concepts that you can actually utilize for work. Many of the jobs today are not going to be available tomorrow. So what can I learn today that is a skill that I can actually put into practice so I can be employed and put food on the table tomorrow? So when I look at it from that perspective, I just think many of the things that we learn are maybe unnecessary, especially with the advance of technology where we can look a lot of these things up. And that's changed even since I've went to school. And so what's your perspective on on that when it comes to learning? Is there, especially with technology right now, are some things just better to showcase to students, to kids, and just let it be and not drill it into our heads and then focus more so on certain skills certain things like you said about curiosity, where just like you said, I truly believe that is a skill to train some of those intangible expertise and skills so that we can further our growth and learnings later in life instead of um, something that is maybe a little bit more tangible, like a math formula, for example. It's such an interesting question. And I think curriculum reform it just needs such a significant reform and i think you know when we look at the curriculum now um I, when i was a teacher i taught music and maths now that's quite some time ago then before that obviously i was a student and i studied music and maths and before that you know my parents studied it and grandparents and so on i look at my 13 year old son studying maths you know, so little has actually changed. Um, you know, whether we call it a different name as the curriculum, we're fundamentally still teaching very much what was taught back in the first industrial revolution. We're teaching it in the same way in classrooms, kids in rows of desks and chairs, where, you know, we really haven't managed to move the education system forward to a place where it's, it's, it's a, aligned to where industry has moved and where technology advancement in all the different industrial sectors has, has led the world to look very different to what it did back in the first industrial revolution and for us to all live in a different way. And I think this is going to be a really interesting outcome of the global pandemic that we're in right now, that it has seen almost a forced shift in the way learning was delivered because suddenly in lockdown, everybody's at home. So we're having to now not only work from home, but 
become teachers from home, learn ourselves from home, um, you know, juggle this whole balance. And I think it's suddenly starting to to force the question around how we learn, because if we if we can adjust that, if we don't make it such a rigid institutionalized process of learning, if we can create freedom and flexibility within that and use technology enablement to support the delivery of learning, then we've got the ability to change what we're learning. Okay, so we can we don't need every teacher to be a subject matter expert in every topic and teach to an assigned rigid structured curriculum. Um, so that allows us to truly be able to think about well, what does curriculum reform look like and who's best placed? Should academia set curriculum or should industry combine with academia set curriculum? You know, do we have the right people informing what we're teaching our kids or are we still sort of treating it as a very academic exercise where really what our kids today are needing is a, a much more um, sort of rounded way of learning skills that aren't necessarily you know your 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 mathematical formulas and your scientific um, sort of sort of sort of theories. So for me, it's 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 a balance between the two. It's not out with the old and in with the new. It's it's a hybrid of that, which almost needs to track a convergence, which has the dynamic nature to constantly change. You know, because curriculum reform traditionally it's something we do every five years um maybe every 10 years so it's not it's not done often and the result of that is that the skills that the young people are acquiring we're not sure that we're actually equipping them to be ready for what's you know what they need to be ready for when they get into the world of work and that's where agility and all of those things need to come into into education and it's a very big wheel to turn you know we we, we, we're not going to be able to get there overnight, but I think if governments are open to engage in a conversation, if academia is open to engage in doing things in a different way, then we're going to get there over time. Um, and we're starting to see it. Certain countries are certainly ahead of the curve in this. You know, we look at what's happening in Finland and um, Singapore education systems. Some of them are, you know, definitely making significant changes in in the way education's being done and the results are happier learners, you know, more successful outcomes when you look at unemployment ratios. And I think it's where, you know, we've got to look around the world at what what's working where and how do we localize that? You know, what's working in certain parts of Europe can't just be applied in, in, in countries in Africa, for example, but there are lessons that we can learn from that that can be applied and technologies we can use from that and adapt and localize curriculum um, and, and have flexibility and fluidity within that. So it's, it's a really, it's a tough question to ask because it is centuries of educating in a particular way, which we're trying to say it's actually not working. If we're really honest with ourselves, it isn't working. Um, we aren't empowering our young people to be the best that they can be. We have to look at doing it differently. But there's so many people involved to 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 make that transition and to make that transformation. Um, it's a very very emotional topic when you start talking to the various stakeholders that are involved. I bet. Yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. I love what you guys are doing and to be a part of that change and to assist companies, students, organizations to be able to do that. 
And Kirsty, you had grown up in New Zealand, worked in the UK and now in South Africa. So you've been on three continents all over the world. And so how has in your background and even with the training room online in the last 12 years uh, with your clients from various countries and regions, how does learning differ from country to country and region to region? I know you touched on it a little bit, but could you go a little bit further into that? Yeah, look, I, th I think the process of learning and the, the, the willingness to learn is pretty much the same everywhere. I think people inherently want to learn, but the way they experience learning impacts the way they feel about learning. And that's why, you know, we, we really need to keep our focus on creating great experiences of learning that allows people to develop a love of wanting to continue to develop themselves and continue to learn. I think what we see, you know, we've done extensive work in the Middle East as well. We work um, a lot in Saudi Arabia and the UAE in different parts of the Middle East. I think we see different readiness in different places. Um, and readiness, I mean, in terms of adapting learning in a different way. And that readiness might not be down to the way the readiness of the learners or the readiness of the teachers. It might be the readiness of the access to the technology or the access to data can be, you know, a really limiting factor in some of the things we're trying to do. So I think the readiness is different. Um, and I think also what we're preparing people for, what are those job opportunities? I think that's different from region to region. And again, the pace at which different places in which we work are developing differs, um, their adoption of technologies in different sectors. So it's always sort of a, assessing the readiness Assessing that what we put forward as creation of learning experiences is not is not ahead of where that readiness factor is, and that we are we are okay to still design experiences which might be quite simple in form of e-learning, because that's going to be the best way for learning to take place and the best way that that can be received at that moment in time. The blend of where the classroom is still going to form a very critical and essential part of learning experiences you know, that dynamic. So we, we have sort of this three circles. It's the physical environment for learning. It's the digital elements that can create that learning. And it's the human element, you know, where the people in the learning process, the teachers or the educators, the learners themselves, the parents, the dynamic of a school, the dynamic of a community, how those three intersect in the middle is where the magic of the future of learning will take place transformation of learning environments physical schools don't need to be structured and set up as we've historically known them to be so it's creating different ways of experiencing those environments and yeah i think it's a journey i think each country each continent each place is going through the journey i do think that the the technology and the way in which we deliver learning going forward there'll be quicker routes and lessons learned and lessons to share and learning to share across countries across continents and around the world i don't think we need to have every country trying to reform its own curriculum all on its own you know it's a timely expensive exercise do we need to have different curriculum in every country around the world? Or could we start to track towards a more global curriculum that creates global skills and global awareness and cultural awareness in different places? The tools are there to facilitate it. The readiness is where, you know, over time, I, I see us becoming more united as, as global citizens in the space of learning and learning from one another. And those experiences are rich. So partly being back in New Zealand now, um, one of the things I want to 
explore is government to government exchange. You know, how can we facilitate these exchanges and experience? How can the history of New Zealand be in part of the history in South Africa or Africa or the Middle East? How do you share those experiences from a digital point of view and bring learning together or learners together from different parts of the world? That wasn't possible when I went to school. Um, and the fact that it is possible now can create a really empowering experience. And, you know, it is for us as, you know, professionals and entrepreneurs, academics, um, governments to really open the door for, for those experiences for our young people to, to have. Those last three, the governments, the entrepreneurs, the academics, I mean, I think it's all three of them working in tandem to actually execute and make these changes. And I love the part about what you said about if there could be a global curriculum so that there's a unified learning, there's a unified, you know, I'm from this part of the world, I'm from another longitude and latitude, no matter where you're at, you're on the same track, you're on, you're learning things that could be applicable for you, even if you move across the country, across the world, anywhere. And so uh, that is an amazing concept. I 100% believe in that. And being a global citizen, I think, uh, hopefully in the near future, in the next you know few decades, we'll all be able to travel around freely, evenly, and have opportunities in other parts of the world. And so you were talking about the governments. How does that come into play when you're working with the educational institutions? Because curriculum, there are some government mandates. And, and so as you're dealing with different countries, different governments and regulatory boards, how does that come into play exactly? And is that something that your team has to account for and acknowledge for to maintain those standards? Or like you were saying before, the core essence of learning, it still does not change, but those are just additional things that we have to keep a, an eye out for. Yeah, look, I, th I think for ministries and departments of education around the world, they're facing a really challenging time at the moment. And, you know, part of the work that we do is to provide guidance, I guess, and and sort of advice around what's possible and, and, you know, bring the skills that we've got within our organization to them to sort of work through and workshop how, how could we affect this change and help to put roadmaps and plans together that say, you know, where do we want to be in five or 10 years time? And if we break that down, knowing where we want to be sort of practically, what are the things that we can do to get us on the journey? to start developing teachers in a different way, to start introducing different things within existing curriculum. You know, so it's trying to 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 find a path for them to navigate, because I think once you can get on the path, it's not so daunting. I think sometimes you can look at it and go, it's, it's too overwhelming to think about how much needs to change on top of what they've got to keep going. So education can't stop whilst this is happening. It's got to almost create this parallel stream, which at some point convergence of the streams will happen. So status quo education has to keep going. But incrementally, how do we bring in the change that leads to an ultimate transformation? So, you know, I firmly believe in public-private partnerships. I think public sector needs private sector to partner. It's very easy to point fingers and find fault, but it's, a, it's an enormous task. And the, the more we're able to work together and create ecosystems, I often 
sort of reflect on this ecosystem play within where we've got to get to because we need to have the hardware providers on board. We need the connectivity players on board. We need to have new ways of developing our teachers. So teacher development's got to play a role. We've got to have ways of distributing safely and securely technology to the hands of our learners. There's so many factors and components. Now, if we don't have the public and private partnership working together towards a common goal and outcome, and that common goal and outcome should be nothing short of creating quality learning experiences that are accessible for everybody, everywhere. If we can agree on that, then our roles that we play in order to achieve that can be mapped and defined. Again, that's not only is it the challenge of getting government um, on board, but it's different private sector stakeholders that also need to come on board. Many examples of ICT rollout. So government will say we're rolling out tablets or we're going to put um, ICT into schools. Now, if that's done in isolation of what, why is it being put there? What will the use of that be? Who's going to use it? How are they going to use it? Where's the content coming from? Who's going to teach them how to use it? How accessible will it be? If all of those things aren't answered, then we're just putting technology in a classroom. And often that technology either gets left in the, in the storeroom, it doesn't get utilized, someone unplugs it and no one else knows how to plug it back in. Um, so the intent and the purpose of why it was put there wasn't followed through with all the other elements. And that's what makes it challenging. You know, it's um, our schools aren't necessarily geared with people to support the equipment. Who's going to take that responsibility? How do we make sure that it's not stolen? How do we look after it once it's there and maintain it? So these are elements that schools haven't had to deal with before. Governments haven't really had to think through. Um, so it creates a layers of complexity that, again, and, until we get the right stakeholders around the table working together, and we have models that can be sort of lifted, shifted and localized and replicated, you know, it is a hard thing that we're actually solving for. As you were saying that, I was just imagining all of the workarounds and the hurdles that people are having to jump through all over the world. For example, uh, I was born in India and my family over there, I visited them a few months ago, earlier this year and last year, and went to a village that my grandma's staying in right now. And the kids invited me so passionately to their classroom. They were like, hey, we've got 20 computers. And they were so excited. The kids were so excited to show me all their computers. And it, it was amazing to see. But like you were saying, there's only one person that truly has a grasp of that technology. And so some of the other principals, the head administrators, I mean, they really don't understand how to, I'm sure they know how to use it, but to be able to teach a student, to be able to articulate that to a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old. And so I think that's one major hurdle. And then also, I was just talking to my grandma the other week saying, how have those kids adapted? Because it's still online learning for them. And so how, when there's only a couple dozen computers for a couple thousand students, the, the numbers don't add up. So do you have any situations like that where you're seeing that maybe um, in your local market or abroad where you're seeing some of these government institutions or organizations saying, hey, Kirstie, we've, we've got such a, an enormous headcount, but our technology is so limited some of our resources are strapped and we're having to gravitate from this physical to this online structure. And I'm sure in the last six months, that's only accelerated all those transformations. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's quite normal what you've described, the kind of 20 laptops or 20 um, computers for a school or, you know, 
that yeah the numbers don't stack up so again you know if we come back to that equality of access to to good education it's another thing that's in the way of achieving that outcome you know i think we've got to get to the point where every learner needs a device and whether that device is a tablet um we can achieve learning on mobile devices it's it might not be ideal but it's at least learning can take place or a laptop um so yeah i think that's sort of the ideal and and part of again you know in the advisory capacity to government it's saying where could a reallocation of budget go from because if you're procuring physical books you're buying and distributing physical textbooks what would the model look like at a commercial level if you were procuring an educational device and those books were embedded within that device and they can be updated on that device they can be shared they can be reused they can be interactive in terms of ebooks or you know interactive learning materials so the learning the assessment and engagement can happen in that space sure you know we need to write we need to draw we need to do all of those things as well but you know if we look at the budgets that education departments have got and and see how do they reallocate that is there a way that is not necessarily needing new budgets it's it's reallocating the budget once the solution is designed in a way that we can be certain that the learning can be effective and again that comes down to making sure we've ticked off all the components of it's not about the device getting the device in the hands of the learner is actually quite easy getting learning to happen through that device is what we've got to make sure in our solutioning that that's the purpose of the device and everybody knows that and it's easy for the learner to access that learning experience you know there's no point just sending the device and then hoping for the best um, so it comes down again to making sure that governments are getting the right advice and thinking through all of the elements and not procuring components in isolation of a full solution that will create the transformation. Um, so where we see they just go to buy thousands or hundreds of thousands of devices and distribute those, the, the chance of that being successful and achieving learning outcomes is, is in our experience, very low. Um, when it's packaged with a, with a full solution incorporated and it's got a proper process of implementation and change management and support, you know, then you've got um, measurability to to know what's working, what's not, and to make the relevant changes. So I think it all comes down to that sort of really strategic design of what needs to happen. And, and again, where governments feel that they're panicking because now, you know, all of this is happening, they're under pressure to create a solution. Um, but, you know, making sure that they've got the right people to support and advise that and that it will work don't copy a model that's worked for others without evaluating your own situational sort of analysis around what will work where you are. Um, so yeah, that would be my thoughts. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because like you said, I think I have seen governments or schools boast about how many laptops or technology devices that they're rolling out. But exactly like you said, it does not translate into a pupil actually learning the material any better. It's just simply a device that they can that they have access to, but there needs to be a facilitator or the instructor. And then to actually be able to comprehend is a whole another task. And 
solution in itself. So Kirsty, I, I absolutely love your passion and enthusiasm for learning. And I, I, and I can see that. And uh, even myself, I truly believe education and learning is the fundamental to essentially everything. I, I mean, if I was to give back to any one thing or devote my time to any one thing as being the most important, I think that would be it outside of health and, and whatnot. But that I, I believe is just so fundamental where that difference in education can make all the difference in the world for an individual. So I absolutely love what you and the training room online have been doing and uh, extremely excited to be able to speak to you again and see where you guys are coming with new technology and how you guys are helping folks around the world. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do leave us a review if you feel so inclined. Or if you already have, please share with a friend that you think might enjoy the show.